What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Oh my gosh. It's been a time. Yes, it has been a time. What's new, Cat? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is new? You know, the length uh, of your hair right now, I bet you could comb it into a nice little pussycat wig looking thing. Yeah, I really need this cold <laughs> weather, which again, it's a Southern California cold weather, but this right. cold weather has really <laughs> made me not want to People do it. I really... Like, Fuck you. Fuck you right <laughs> in the face. <laughs> I really wish... Uh, so when, the, when COVID was like at its peak in 2020, mm-hmm. I bought one of those at home kits to do haircuts and stuff. Oh, um, always a, a good idea. Always a good idea. I, I just wanted to shave my head. My, my mom really was against it, which is, says interesting things about like bodily autonomy. Cause it's, <laughs> but I wish that I like learned how to clean up the like sides and the sideburns and the ears and stuff, because the length I'm, I'm in love with, like I really love this, like, beautiful long hair but i wish i could just clean it up so that way i didn't look i didn't look so ragged but you, know, no, you don't look I ragged think, i was just saying it could be i feel to- i feel that way i feel okay. that way when the lately when the hair gets long like this i start to feel like i need to go visit the barber which i do love my barber so i'm not trying to replace them or save any money by giving myself haircuts i really like the job they do but i just wish i could like trim it up when i in between visits. Ah, I have that problem. Sad. You have luscious long hair. I still have to get it trimmed, but yeah, I don't uh, worry about the, once you get it, once you get it past a certain length, it doesn't look so awkward. So you could just keep going and just let it grow. Actually, I wonder, yeah, what would you look, me? what would you look like with a bob or like a bowl <laughs> cut? Cause for a while, cause it goes like that for a while with your hair. If, oh when I was God. growing mine long, there were definitely some periods where it was like, what? Maybe I should just cut it all off. But cause it just looks so weird, especially yeah. when it was like here at like my, <laughs> can you imagine my hair just <laughs> right here? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So, cause it had to grow. This very severe, symmetrical mm-hmm. bob. Yeah. I feel like for me, I would look like Anton Chigurh <laughs> from mm. uh, No Country for Old Men. I mean, it's something you could try before maybe in this next year coming up. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) What else has been going on? I've been, I've started watching some new TV, which has been, which has been great because I've reached a point where my comfort watches, it's, I have finished, you know, I did Frasier. Oh, so what you're saying is the, the watch analytics or the ratings or whatever for the Gilmore Girls have crashed and burned on yes <laughs> yes i'm actually i'm i love you i actually am starting to watch the gilmore girls right now from the beginning not from the beginning from okay. oh that's right you don't like you said the first season or two god i hate like season rewatch. one season one okay. pisses me off so much season two is fine season three i will start no, that's okay with, like, we've had the conversation before it's okay, okay. Let's, what's you the new stuff re- you're watching we really get i recently watched <laughs> i recently finished mr and mrs smith on net on uh amazon frame and i just started watching and it came out a couple years ago but i just started watching welcome to chippendales i'm not in love with it at the moment but the podcast that was on Spotify for a long time, which was What's Your Fantasy, 
which was about the Chippendales story and the murder and Steve Banerjee and Nick DeNoia was yeah. so good. That podcast was like one of my favorite things that came out that year. I have a lot of high expectations for the show and I'm trying to stick through it because I'm curious how they're going to make it to the end of this eight episodes. But it's got Juliette Lewis and she just showed up. Annalie Ashford, it just showed up in this in the okay. show. It's got Murray Bartlett. All right. Playing a homosexual. Okay. We'll see how it goes. What are you watching? We've been watching. We have our Wednesday group back up and running after after an extended break. Move Lily over there. So (laughs) So we've been watching the uh, Capote versus the Swans, the new feud, the new season of feud, which is so odd because the first one came out seven years ago, which is mind blowing to me. Girl, um, I so I also am watching Capote versus the Swans, but not with you, not no. because I dislike you, but separately. Um, oh, I don't care. Yeah, I was gonna say you don't care. I'm not gonna justify it. That's more for you are anxiety. missing out on excellent uh, commentary and filling in the gaps of historical uh, information I have. If you're yeah, if that, not watching it with us, but because I remember when first <laughs> the first season of Feud came out seven years ago, we did a whole day where we watched What Happened to Baby Jane. We watched Mommy Dearest. Mm-hmm. There was a little documentary thing that we watched, and I feel like I'm losing that with Capote versus the Swans. Yeah, but, um, it's such a specific you- time period. Yes. What do you think about it? What's the feeling of it all? I'm enjoying it so far. We've only seen the first two episodes. It's me. It's Caddy, mm-hmm. which was it's very much in the spirit of Capote, of Truman Capote, who was also a bit of a cat, catty lady. Shady Wump. A catty Wump. <laughs> Shady boots the house down, I think is what yes. the kids might call her these days. Yeah, I'm enjoying that. And I like, I've been reading Answered Prayers, the book that he was writing during this time that was published after his death. I had read... The book that the series is based on, Capote's Women, that was really a, a good read. So yeah, I, it's fascinating. It's, and it's interesting to watch with people who have been coming that are also part of like book clubs and stuff I'm in. So it's a, like about a writer. Uh, so it's just been fun talking about that. And, and somebody who is uh, in Truman Capote, this very famous author, well-regarded with like in cold blood and and such mm-hmm. who was also out which was unheard of at that time period so it's just fun to watch things that are like about writing or about the making of literature or books something that you know a lot of us yeah. love yeah but i'm and enjoying also, it. and the clothes himself, yeah. oh yes and the clothes he himself great. was such a flawed person and I'm curious with book club people, and I say this as people who read books but are not maybe connected to that creative process of writing. Mm-hmm. Because you are a creative person, you create music, you write your own, you write stuff. So you're more connected to it than, let's say, a lay person that is in a book club that reads like 200 books a year or whatever. But I'm, but I'm curious if there's been any conversation about like how like how messy he was as a person and yeah. the cachet that he had being a writer raconteur um, right and this gadfly on these high society ladies they're their professional mm-hmm. gay best friend yeah there's like that whole glamorizing of like pills and booze and smoking and this kind of whole world when mm-hmm. you think of a lot of those kinds of writers yeah it's almost a cliche but maybe he yeah. created the cliche <laughs> yeah. um, tom no, holland is that. doing a, a really good job i lose yeah. tom holland entirely yeah totally we were talking about that we they looked up pictures of him and they were like oh my gosh i can't believe this is him yeah he's totally lost in it but yeah i really i enjoy the look of it the clothing of it all i am looking forward to seeing how they because the big question is still is why Mm -hmm. why he did it why he betrayed all these women and when he'd worked so hard to get into that life and get into those circles from the time he was a kid when his mother also tried so it's like why did you got to the pinnacle where it's like he could have hosted the rest of his life with those women being their friend and confidant and you know supporting them in ways that like obviously their husbands weren't or their children weren't or you know their own parents or whatever and he like blew it all up Um, yeah and that's a question. It's like, why? Uh, so I'm curious to see how this will answer that. Because I don't think even the book that I read and stuff, it was just like, I mean, there was like a real contempt uh, for that world. Mm-hmm. But he also really wanted to be part of it. So it's fascinating. So I'm curious to see where where it wraps up. Yeah. 
But yeah, so we're watching that. We're watching the True Detective Night Country. I'm enjoying that mm-hmm. with uh, Jodie Foster. And then the Sam Squinch and I have just started where we've watched two episodes so far of The New Look on Apple TV Plus or whatever the hell it's called. Apple yes, Plus. Ben as Christian Dior. Yes, as Christian Dior. And more to the point, Julia Binoche as Coco Chanel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, one, cause I don't think that story, that's another thing where it's like, I don't think a lot of people know this story or know like Coco Chanel's involvement with the Nazis. Um, I mean, you know, she gets like wrapped up in, you know, cause you go, Oh, Hugo boss and Co- and Chanel and you know, all these different pe- people, uh, you know, cars and things, all the different things that were made by and for the Nazis that still exist today that s- still survive. And, but it's interesting to see the, at least this particular story's version of those events. So it's a lot of, is that true? I didn't know that. Or, and like with Jeffrey too, because he loves that time period. Yeah. It's fun kind of filling in gaps of stuff. Although apparently they made a mistake because they've been calling Winston Churchill, Sir Winston, and he wasn't, it's in the forties and he wasn't a sir yet. So, oh, interesting. But that was coming from him. I didn't fact check it either way because care. The trailer is painting it as, uh, post what do we do post war because i don't mm-hmm. feel we i don't feel we talk enough or i'm I, I at least in my experience it's like i've not found really anything that's interesting that deals with the immediate repercussions of world war ii in media and such right. I, as i say that there's probably five things that you know could come to mind but I love it from this very European standpoint, right? And especially the culture and what is the point and how do you re-energize an industry that in the face of war was meaningless, mm-hmm. right? Or not meaningless, but like yes, frivolous. right. Yeah. And that's part of it because Christian Dior was working with Lelong, who was making dresses for Nazi members' wives and other people. And again, the uniform, that, it was such an important part of the way that the Nazis looked. Fashion, mm-hmm. they just, they really were aware of PR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like of, of looking a certain way. So yeah, Perception, but and it's, yeah, it's going, it's both ways because it's like starting... I mean, I guess we're really the last episode we watched was kind of all set in the past. Uh, so it is, it's trying to tell two stories because it's trying to let you in on what happened with Christian Dior, like why, what he was doing during the war, what Chanel was doing, and then the immediate aftermath and how he went to build his first collection mm-hmm. that included that, the new look dress that he gets cited with creating this modern silhouette for women. So that's part of the story is like, how did he get, how did he make and build his own fashion house? But it's also a lot about, yeah, how, what, how the Nazis were operating in France and the different kinds of things that they were trying to do. Uh, yeah, I think you should watch it. I bet you'd enjoy it. And again, there's lots of really beautiful clothes. I want to go back to how Feud was seven years ago. <laughs> Have you read anything as to like why it took this long? Because they... Yeah, because they were doing different things. Like first, they were going to do something on Charles and Diana. And then the crown stole that thunder. They were going to do something on Hurricane Katrina. I don't know why that didn't happen. Katrina versus New Orleans is the feud or what? I just remember that being part of the early conversation. Okay. Um, Or maybe that was crime story. I don't know. Uh, But they... Yeah, they just had a whole bunch of different stories and either somebody else came along and told it or or they worried, hey, the crown's going to cover that. So, we, you know, we are we going to do it better than them? Yeah. Um, and oh. Especially because that, that Diana movie with Kirsten, Kristen Stewart came out, yeah. too. So, yeah, yeah it's yeah, all yeah. pointless. Yeah. Oversaturated. Yeah. And it's and I don't know if that's exactly the right thing for Ryan Murphy's feud. I think that they have to find things that are yeah. like campy. Yeah. I don't know if they even... The American Crime Story was pretty good, the OJ one, and that was a pretty serious approach. It's just sometimes it's hard to take Ryan Murphy too serious. And I don't really want to. I want his stuff to have a camp factor, to have a... Yeah, like a queer vibe to it. So, like, the Capote show makes a lot of sense. I think it's risky because so many people probably are like, what the heck? I don't even know who, what this story is. But it's really fascinating because, again, the world has changed in many ways, but it hasn't. And so mm-hmm. that's why it, it's nice to highlight the way that we look at like the rich and the powerful as beacons of, you know, or, or what am I trying to say? 
it's like we we find it fascinating when the rich and powerful are like tabloid fodder right we love to yeah. build up our people to tear them down and these women were like the original influencers there's a comment about people don't come here to this restaurant for the food or whatever or for, because, for the restaurant they come here because we come here and so they're like style and tastemakers who have all this drama going on and then and again this is still very relevant to our world and very relevant to the influencer culture and celebrity culture mm-hmm. and with feud obviously it was about like of course, the relationship between Betty Davis, the first one, sorry, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. But it still told a very contemporary story about women in film that we still yeah. see. Women in celebrity culture in general. Wow, it's still, there's always got to be people like, don't you hate that other person? Don't you, what do you think of her? What are you always trying to get women to tear each other down and yeah. make us all complicit in that? Yeah. So yeah, so I think if they keep doing it, they just have to find something that kind of can ride that line of campy fun serious but has some serious elements but yeah i just want it to be fun the crown isn't i don't think it's fun <laughs> and, no. and i'm and i also don't think taking charles and diana's feud and putting it through like the ryan murphy lens with the camp yeah. factor would be a good idea yeah uh, especially because the crown with charles and diana they like there was like an episode in the last season where they like they healed them <laughs> they retconned a healing moment between the two of them mm. right before that fateful summer where she takes the kids and he's like what if we just just try to be the best co-parents as possible right. which I, I which makes me wonder to what extent he the creators of the crown were in contact how much contact they had with charles just because the later seasons of the crown charles ends up getting a, a nicer narrative <laughs> Than, than the earlier seasons, or at least the first season with Diana. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm so That's curious as fair. to what, I'm so just co- so curious as to what's going to happen. Because I feel like we're just a couple years removed from like feud Kanye versus Taylor Swift, which would be like, not th- and that's the thing is that even that show wouldn't even be about the re- the two of them it would be about everything around the two of them which is what i felt was really effective with the first feud is that they talked a lot about each individual woman to inform the hatred that they had for each other and ultimately uh, showing a lot of similarities that they had with mm-hmm. each other too yeah yeah that's true Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Krayshawn's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Pass to Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come, baby, come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. All right, welcome back. So today we are wrapping up our Salute to Black Horror 2024. Although, again, Mm -hmm. this won't be the last of Black Horror on the show, of course, but just to give it a proper and today we're talking about the angry black girl and her monster 2023 sci-fi horror picture Mm. now that we spent the whole first half talking about feud i'm gonna have to talk (laughs) i'm gonna have to become betty davis Uh, we're gonna make this we got jay's story on writing and direction I read that it took a long time that he wrote this back in 2008 or something seven eight and it kept getting rejected and rejected and then in 2020 finally here yeah yeah exactly <laughs> we've got we've got Leia de leon hayes as vicaria stepping in for uh, victor Fra- frankenstein mm-hmm. denzel whitaker as kengo chad coleman as donald edam atsuswanzi as chris slash the creature the monster the titular yeah in a nutshell this is a frankenstein story about vicaria i almost said it wrong but she corrects this very clearly <laughs> in the film vicaria <laughs> Vicaria, she's a 17-year-old high school student, but brilliant future STEM leader, especially if she <laughs> really women hones. in STEM. Yes, <laughs> women in STEM, Black women in STEM. 
Because like women in STEM is its own like percentage, but black women in STEM is even. But yeah, so she's lost her mother to violence, her uh, brother to gang violence. She's seeing her neighborhood just be rife. That's the word, rife with violence. And she decides that death is something that she wants to cure. It's a disease that must be cured. And so Mm -hmm. she puts together, hobbles together a nice little machine here and resurrects her dead brother. But oh no, as often happens, he's now an uncontrollable rage machine killing left and right. Mm -hmm. What what are we going to do? So (laughs) how could we have predicted this? (laughs) (laughs) Who could have foresaw this? Yeah, so that's what the film is about. Joe, what did you think about The Angry Black Girl and Her Monster? I love the first half. I got lost in the second half. Okay. But overall, it was a enjoyable experience. Uh, and I would watch this again. I This is one of those that like I would show people. Like I would show them. This is a group screening type of movie for me. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, (laughs) I just kept having this thought where when Vicaria talks about death as being a disease that can be cured, that can be conquered, I was trying to remember back to the original Frank uh, Frank movie to see if he was talking, if he talked the same talk about it because her the way that she speaks so confidently about death being a disease reminded me of the musical Jekyll and Hyde because the whole the whole in the musical Jekyll and Hyde and I don't know if this is it true in the book but in the musical the reason why he's doing all of these experiments and leads to him creating the the elixir that creates that releases Hyde is as a way to cure death. (laughs) And it could be just a very Victorian Gothic fascination with death. And Mm -hmm. as are with most things of that time that that are in that genre is it's all about death and darkness and man creating things over science, man versus nature. But it was just interesting to see her, to see a young black girl, just really ride hard for death as a disease and disturbing the white Karen that teaches her science class, which I, as disturbing as the scene that was, I was just living for her being, getting real angry with her. Yeah. Some of the reviews I read about this talked about, it's obviously making a lot of comments, but doing it in a way that felt like it wasn't. And again, I'm here and there. I don't mind heavy handedness at all. I don't, I'm not, against a film or a work of art making its point bluntly or subtly. But this did use a lot of like real world things that were blended in without having to comment. It's like we now unfortunately have this language, this visual language, because we've just seen it so much in social media and police body cam stuff that Mm -hmm. the movie doesn't even have to really make a comment because it's like, I don't need to convince you that this is a reality of my life. You know it. You already know it, especially the classroom scene when the security guard comes in, throws her out of the chair and on the ground, breaks her glasses, which stay broke the rest of the film, which is actually interesting. One of the things I read was about the subtlety of her own warped vision. Yeah. Or not subtlety, but a a, um, symbology, semiotic of her warped vision. But And there are other scenes like that. For instance, I don't think it's an accident that Chris, when he's resurrected, the whole film, he wears like a hoodie over him. And it made me, sorry, over there on Patreon, you can see this, but I pulled this book that I read in undergrad, Citizen, an American Lyric by Claudia Rankine, and it has like the hoodie. So it's Mm -hmm. inspired a bit by like Trayvon Martin, but a lot of the deaths of black men and women, black people at the hands of police and systemic uh, racism and the, and the idea that you're always the guy they're looking for. You're always the suspect. Yeah. And I'm using that hoodie imagery. And then when you look at the film posters, I'm like, Ooh, gosh, that really reminds me of that. The, a lot of the artwork around Trayvon Martin and the hoodie. Sure. Yeah. So again, there's like imagery there, but it's not really commented on, but it's in, it's in the film that I really appreciated about this. So I really, I like this. I agree. This is something that I would show. I thought it was fun, but also deep. I agree. It got a Mm -hmm. little, they're trying to work with 90 some minutes. I actually think this film would have been better longer, maybe just because one, I would have liked to have seen more of 
of um, Vicaria's relationship with her brother with Chris and wanting to know more on that side, only because it would clarify because she talks about how they've made him a monster with their response to him, but she also is afraid of him because she doesn't know what his intentions are. And then in the end, is he going to kill her too? Cause he's killed his uh, girlfriend who was carrying his baby. I believe that was what we were supposed to take from that, right? That it was his child. So he murders her mother, murders the brother, Vicaria's father. Yeah. The brother, all everybody. So it's, you don't really know if, He's uh, reacting because he's scared and terrified and people are terrified of him. So it's that Frankenstein thing, right? Mm. Which I couldn't believe little Jada made it out because I was like, oh, she's going to be the little girl with the flowers. She's all like being friendly with him and stuff. I'm like, oh, when is she going to show up somewhere, you know? But the first kind of like innocent that the first innocent that he kills is actually his father, who in many ways. Right. It is such a it's such an interesting such an interesting choice to have the father show up the way that that particular portrayal. Chad Coleman, right? Is that his name? Yes, as Donald. Uh, yes, as Donald. So Chad yeah. Coleman, who folks may know from The Walking Dead, as Tyrese, mm-hmm. basically reprising a lot of Tyrese in this. I just felt like I was watching watching Tyrese in this, but like that being the choice because I was like, oh, Jada's done, <laughs> but. She also was a creepy fucking kid. I liked her. I liked her a lot, but it was really unsettling when she Mm -hmm. was like, maybe he's behind you. (laughs) No. But yeah, yeah, I I just thought it was a good choice. But her, she obviously wasn't responding to him with fear. So yeah. they formed like a friendship that you don't, you also don't see. I would have liked to have seen that as well a little Mm -hmm. bit more. I like the way they introduced it you know, that she was talking to him and we didn't, we hadn't seen that, but I would have liked to have seen some more scenes between them. Cause yeah. that's that, that's part of that evidence of he is responding to other people's fear of him, mm-hmm. which again is mm-hmm. very Frankenstein, um, monster, Frankenstein's monster. That's always one of those kind of conversations about who the monster is, right? Even though he's killing people, is he doing it because he wants to, uh, or is it response? Yeah, and again, I, yeah, I guess it's just because the dad like reacts so badly to to him. It's, it's sad. That's the other thing about this movie. There's, it's fun. It has some like comical elements. It's got a lot of gore, obviously going on. Fun gore. She like pulls like a tendon out or whatever. Is like like wiggling, looking at it. I enjoy all that when she's like working on him. But there's also this like real sadness underneath it. You're dealing with people whose lives have been irrevocably changed because of violence, systemic violence, systemic issues from lots of different ways and Mm -hmm. trying to make the best of it. At least she is. She obviously wants to, to, well, I mean, again, if she's curing death, that's how you change the whole world. But again, and the question is actually, there was a, a quote that I liked that was so. This was the harrowing take on the Frankenstein tale in the film. One of the uh, of life's greatest wounds is death, and the subsequent grief that follows it. Steep. It's a steep price we pay for the honor of communing and sharing our soul with another living being. Their absence forces us to accept and acclimate to a new version of normal, one with a landmine of triggers that can slice our emotional flesh at any given moment. What if death itself were a disease that could be cured? Would we want the antidote, even if it came with bloody ramifications? And this says this is the crux of Bamani. I think I'm saying that J stories, horror drama, the angry black girl and her monster and a oft bleak. There's that word. Love that word. Secret word. Bleak meditation on systemic oppression and violence, heartbreak and death. And of course that always gets me thinking about like kind of, you know, the work I do um, that like that, those first sentences are something I inevitably, you know, is part of like my introduction in my grief group that I do. Uh, and it's that, you know, we can't cure death. We can't cure grief. Would we want to? We're supposed to feel loss because it deepens love. It deepens commitment. It deepens our our experience as humans. And so if you knew that you, like, what's the point of anything if we all, if we lived forever? Or if we could, yeah, or if we could bring the dead back. So, of course, e- even in this film, obviously, it's not... Well, I guess that's where it gets muddled again at the end. So we'll have to talk about that. But mm-hmm. at least for the in the first part, it's the same. It's you brought him back, and it definitely did not solve the problem. No, no. created yeah. more. Yeah, and it's just is he is Chris. This isn't an ideal living situation for yeah. for somebody. 
Yeah, like they don't really, you're right in that I would have loved to see more flashbacks with Chris as a, as Chris, not as the creature, because I think it would have, there would have been some connection because in reflecting on it now, it really is just there. Chris just functions as a way for Vicaria to realize her own research Mm. and solve her hypothesis. Right. And but without having to be burdened by thinking of the consequences exactly exactly and you know again it's like this magic thing uh i did love that um we still get daddy issues because there was Mm. daddy issues in original frankenstein movie and then there's daddy issues here and what was also interesting about this film was oh i expected chris to have been killed by the police and for there to be some sort of, uh, I was expecting some sort of revenge kind of wish fulfillment of with against the police. And then, so to see Hango and the gang be like the major bads of this film was really fascinating because that's not where I thought they were going to go with it. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that with Aisha, they are they're trying to introduce with Aisha. It's just there our people are our people and we need to try to do our best to protect ourselves with her. What does her mom call her? Hotepin. <laughs> her mom says <laughs> your Hotepin. That was pretty funny as well. Yeah. Trying to bring in black history and talk about what's hidden and what's not taught in schools. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And again, it does, when you have a, a black man writing this story, obviously he could go that direction. Mm-hmm. He could make this about the police. and But there mm-hmm. is a comment. And th- that's part of it, obviously, when the school weaponizes security against Vicaria, the white teacher who just doesn't like what sh- the, this kid is saying to her. She can weaponize state-sanctioned violence, basically, against her. Yeah. So that comment is there. And there are police on part of it. One of them is murdered. But I think we find out we think it's Chris that murdered him. But in the end, it's the it's the other gang member, Jamal, I think, who killed the police officer, or bra- at least brags about killing a police officer. We're not shown. But Vicaria thinks it's Chris. So you get, I feel like you get both. So you get this idea that yes, systemic racism is operating in, in the violence against bodies of, of color, but particularly uh, against black bodies. Mm-hmm. But there's also other parts of our world where we're hurting each other and we're participating yeah. in yeah. certain kinds of violence against each other. And again, that's something that is present, I think, in all of that is how oppression operates the most effectively is to internalize it and then to play out certain things. And we see that obviously all the time in the LGBTQIA2 plus where there's these sort of identity politics that get it played about who, you know, who has a right to be considered a part of the group and who doesn't. And mm-hmm. we enact a lot of patriarchal and misogynist uh, bullshit against each other. And so I, I identify with, that's one of the reasons I like this story. Cause it's like, it's coming at this from a lot of angles. It's showing like her mother died. I think it's like a stray bullet. It's not like she was purposely killed, but it's, this is the neighborhood they're living in. This is what happened or wherever, wherever they were at. And so the dad's like working two jobs. He's trying to like keep the family together. And this is the ways that, something can break down where it's not like nobody's like flawed, right? It's not some fault of Mm -hmm. their personhood. They're trying to do their best to live and survive. And this is the world that they're operating in. So Mm -hmm. I I really appreciate it. This was a little bit more nuanced than just the kind of similar to Get Out, right? Get Out had this conversation going on that it's not really just about police violence. It's about other things. And so I think this did a, a good job of covering in the nuanced way. But again, at the end, it gets confusing because I, then I go back to the end where they mm-hmm. decide she's got to kill Chris. This isn't, this isn't good. It's not right to have him having to live this way in this body. Plus, obviously, he's dangerous at times. So she decides sure. to kill him. But then they discover that he's murdered these other people. And so she like brings them back to life and they're like just themselves again. It, we don't know it ends there. But I feel like that kind of muddied like what the point of the film was. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, like, Oh, it didn't okay, work so, with him. Let's just try it with something yeah. else. You know, it didn't work with him because he wasn't fresh. Like yeah, when she so should like, only be fresh. bringing back fresh bodies. Yeah. So is she going to bring back her dad? Like how, where are we going to, like, how are we going to, what's happening next? And 
It's also that thing, right, of we need black women to save us, right? Like black women are out here trying to save all of us. I love the the kind of twist on a callback to the original film when Aisha realizes that her baby's alive and he's and she's like, she's he's alive. I thought that was really cool. I was like, ah, love that. I'm glad that and she then, resurrected them for the story, just for yeah. like. The, but I was just like, wow, what are we? What's the lesson in that part of it? Because obviously, the, yeah. a lot of times when we see these movies, Frankenstein movies, it's usually like wealthy men playing God. That's the story, right? And yeah. what happens when you play God or when you go against the laws of nature, like you suffer and pay for it. And so this film, it just gets a little muddy in there because she's a 17 year old girl dealing with all of this violence yeah. and awful stuff. And oh, gosh, I have the secret to life itself but it goes wrong and it, they, it kills a lot of people that she knows and loves and cares about and so i just don't know what have been a better story to have left them dead and it's just like her and jada at the end trying to make sense of it but that's not right either i don't want poor little jada to be without her family the so it just left me it left me with a lot of weird thoughts at the end i'm not sure how to take this yeah yeah is the moral of the story that we just need to listen to black women <laughs> and fund their research <laughs> Yeah, because then maybe then it would have been <laughs> she would have succeeded where Victor Frankenstein failed. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, uh, it, it just like I, I just like you said, it's so interesting that that's the message that you're leaving the film with. Right. Is that yeah. her that is that she is right. <laughs> and not that she's right, but that she has managed to find a way to subvert or to introduce new concepts of reality. <laughs> in that Mm -hmm. what if death was not the end what if but and then but and then realizing okay are we but we're not meant to live forever right right and if death is a disease but what is that it doesn't make sense not doesn't doesn't make sense but there's more questions and i think that's part of the appeal of the film is that you get to ask this and Joshua, like you, I really love that you brought up your work and what you're doing, especially around grief and things. And what do you feel is the answer in terms of if death were a disease, could we cure it? Like, Mm. where, what is the space for grief? If what is what, where is, uh, how does grief and that kind of love manifest in the absence of death? I guess that's a point. It wouldn't. If you knew nobody was ever going to die or be lost, it might, it it would take away some of the immediacy of -hmm. these sorts of feelings. The pressure of them would go away. Like I said, I would love to live forever. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if all of us should live forever. The planet, I don't know if that could take it. So so there are other, there are bigger existential questions here that would have to be consider just about the again the practicalities of being an immortal we've discussed this before but yeah so instead i work very hard to or no i don't i work with people to help them do the work of like radical acceptance of loss and and seeing the yeah that that part of grief that it's grief isn't just sadness it contains a lot of joy as well because it it contains memory Mm -hmm. which can be joyful and loving and we learn a lot from people in our lives and in our losses. So I don't know if that answers the question. I don't know if there is a good answer. Can I? So I'm going to I have to ask a question that really has nothing we're to not, do with group therapy. Yeah, that really has nothing to do with the film. But I'm just very curious since we're talking about grief. How do you I, I have a friend who is right now dealing with grief with a family member in from their immediate family who passed a couple years ago but prior to that they had no relationship with them no relationship for 10 years and it's been interesting hearing them talk about their process of grief and things when it's uh, hearing grief is love hanging on right grief is love hanging on but what about when you don't what about when it's your how do you grieve somebody who you had no real love or relationship with mm-hmm. but their yeah. the absence is like it's you're grieving something that never existed yeah. No, and that's a big part of it too. Again, with what we're talking about because of this particular film, it's her love of her mother and her love of her brother that it's this is enough death around me. I'm going to solve this problem for myself. And so I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to figure out the answers to life so that I can avoid this pain. Uh, so in in that response, that is like one kind of grief is the the love of it all. 
But yeah, no, there's always a lot of if in grief, this gigantic word, <laughs> biggest word in our language, if. That is very hard for people, especially because a lot of it becomes more about what should I have done? And it becomes more of a very negative self-talk. I should have done mm-hmm. this or that. And again, it's one of those things where it's we have to accept the situation as they as it is. It's like I've talked to, with people about this. I when uh, my mother was still alive, there was a time in our life where I didn't talk to her for two years because she needed to get her shit together. And even if I want to think that even if I had known how short of time we actually would have had together, I still would have chosen to do that because it was necessary. And so I don't think I don't spend time thinking like, oh, man, I should have used those two years better. But it's not because I used them the way that I knew then the information that I had to use them. And it's the same with people. It's like you, it's, it is a kind of radical acceptance as well of, oh, did, did I waste 10 years not talking to this person? So you made the choices you made with the information that you had. And I think it's better to try to be self-compassionate because we can't change the past. What happened? And so it sucks. Again, that's also one of those things where I hold a lot of space for just the sucks of it all. Like that fucking sucks. It sucks if you miss or wish that you had been able to do this or that, or you lose somebody really unexpectedly who you maybe had a fight with, right? Because we're magical creatures of magical thinking sometimes. And then we go, what if I hadn't had that fight with them? Maybe they'd still be alive. And it's, ah, I don't know who has that kind of power. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of part of it. Moving a little over from this, because there was actually something really, a really good conversation in here that I really appreciated that they gave to like the, I guess the bad guy in this. We have Chris, the monster, fine. Uh, But Kengo is also the other villain, right? He's like the gang leader and the one pushing everybody Mm -hmm. in his neighborhood. He's the person a lot of people are um, forced to, he's forcing her to be involved in his drugs. He gave drugs to the Mm -hmm. father, I bet, like Chris. When Chris's mother died and then his dad was at work all the time working two jobs and he was out there trying to figure out how to be in the world, there's Kango, right? You can be in the gang Mm -hmm. and we'll take care of you. But his little speech about how addiction is emotional, like an emotional issue. And he talks about how if there were more mental Mm -hmm. health clinics here, I'd be in a different business. And I was like, that was a nice couple of lines that really also highlight the whole, this whole film, put it just turns it a little bit. And I just thought that was really great. He's like, you know, people are out here, you know, trying to survive and I offer them a way to deal, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is in my limited experience that I've had so far, um, you know, a lot of my clients I've mentioned before, you know, are co-occurring. So they have uh, substance use uh, disorders along with or diagnoses of uh, of substance use disorders mm-hmm. and uh, mental health disorders. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, yeah, people turn to whatever they can to deal. Yeah, And yeah, if we were providing more if we were putting more money tax, taxing the rich <laughs> and taking that money and putting it into healthcare and putting it into mental health and all that, mm-hmm. a lot of the, a lot of these things, I do truly believe that is, that is a path forward, compassionate responses to these issues. Cause again, I just, I don't buy this idea that humans are naturally selfish monsters <laughs> as much as I, I love movies about that mm. and horror kind of reflecting the, our, the monstrousness of us. But I think people who are know that they have housing and know that they have food and water and access to the things that they need to mm-hmm. survive don't wouldn't I guess we won't know until we see everybody have that sort of experience. But I think that's the answer is providing more of those kinds of spaces. And we do have some information because we know other countries that approach things differently, or we approach if we make a a change of when decriminalization effort, it does have transformative effect on people's lives in a positive way. Yeah. So that little moment between them of you're ruining our neighborhood and he's saying i i'm taking advantage of the situation i didn't create this and i'm actually helping people by providing this service i like that so this is from another article review denzel whitaker adds a dash of magnetism to the role of kengo the neighborhood drug dealer and yeah talking about uh, drugs as an emotional issue and he is providing a cure he fixing he's fixing people's heartache and so this 
yeah, their banter, Vicaria and Kango provides this space to think about the big, these bigger existential issues that are being discussed in the film. And I just, I really appreciated that, that part. Let's see. I think that pretty much hits on the things I wanted to cover. Again, I really like this movie. I thought it was fun. I would definitely show it. I like that idea. Show it at a party with something. Little Friday night movie night. <laughs> Little Friday night movie night. Yeah. And because I do think that it even it's fun, it's gory, it's freaky. There are some, I think, some really nice tense scenes in it. The lighting is really cool. Mm-hmm. There's some really nice work uh, being done there. Real um, good use of screaming. Like, yeah. that took me, that kind of took me aback by how, like, I was affected by it, like, especially yeah. with in that second half. Yeah, yeah. And there was just some really nice, I mean, again, I'm not really big into like, you know, what's good or bad camera work. I don't know, director stuff. But early in the film, there's like this beautiful scene of, I don't know, it was like grass, but weeds or something like blowing in the wind and then like blood, like slowly like splattering over them. It was just this really beautifully composed moment, you know, of this person's death in this, I don't know, it was just... There was just something about it. it that image is, is staying in my head. So there was just some really nice things going on here. Again, I wish that it was maybe had an extra 20 minutes to further explore some of the relationships. I I would have liked to, I think, I don't know. I don't know what to do about the ending, mm-hmm. but I just feel conflicted yeah. about it, but it was still fun. And it, I totally worth a watch and I would watch it again for sure. One thing that, you reminded me of was this movie from 2019. I think it was a Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's a see you yesterday. Um, yeah. Which is about two, two black youth in STEM that basically create these backpacks that go back in time. And they, they've been trying to create these backpacks that go back in time. And then the, they're urged to finish their research and as a way to prevent one of the, one of their older siblings from being gunned down by the police. So this is, this is an interesting, again, we, sometimes we talk about pairing movies, right? Doing a see you yesterday, the angry black girl and her monster double feature because essentially they're trying to do the same thing, but they're also taking into account like two, two also very old ideas, old tropes of culture and literature, time travel, time machine, and then the Frankenstein narrative. So that the one that, what was it called again? See you yesterday. See you yesterday. Is that horror or is it more just sci-fi? It's more sci-fi. I would probably put it in real world horror because they, I remember watching it in 2020 as part of trying to watch more black stories. And that, I think that's when it got a lot of its play too, was in 2020 when those lists were coming out about black stories to watch. And I remember it being like really interesting and effective being like, okay, what if time travel could solve it? And Hmm. I won't spoil it. For those yeah. who have not seen it, because I, it's definitely worth a watch. But the ending is also troubling as well. Like it, it's and I think that's also part of the point, right? Not to sound formulaic. The ending thought with this film with Angry Black Girl and Her Monster is just kind of she's right. But like, where do we go from here? Right. If it didn't stop her from doing what she did, it only just she knows now what she needs to do to be more successful at it. So it's yeah. not that it's it doesn't even like question whether or not she was like we're we're still asking whether or not it was wrong for her to for her to raise the dead. But now we're just asking now we're just being even more granular with it. At what point is it wrong? If you've not raised them within the first 24 hours, what's the lim- right. what are the limitations of resurrection? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I was just looking, there was an ending explain article I just saw, but it's about this person's interpreting it because she saves Aisha and the, the baby um, mm-hmm. metaphor for how violence and prejudice against people attempt to blur the road ahead in hopes that they'll never find the way to excel. As long as the Vicarias of the world don't stop dreaming, Shale evil hasn't won the war. So, I mean, yeah, I get that. I, I get the idea of, you know, um, yeah, it says it ends with the, uh, what is a flicker of hope in a black hole of pain and chaos. Um, mm-hmm. 
And yeah, so just trying to have some hope for the future. So it isn't just accepting that everybody's dead and that this is just what her life is going to be. She can't envision and she has the tools to improve it. So that's, I get, I definitely get that messaging in there. It's just with the rest of the film, because of everything happening. And then you have the Frankenstein mythos, which was all that. Mm -hmm. Again, they don't have to like stick with that trope and that conversation, and they're they're using the language of Frankenstein to tell a new story. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Either way, again, I still enjoyed it enough. It wasn't the ending wasn't just wasn't so bad. It was just I was like, ah, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about her, yeah. about her character, and everybody and everything that's happened. If you could just bring these people back, despite it not going right with Chris. But again, yeah. that's also explained because he's made up of a lot of other. She's body snatching, so yeah, yeah. whatever. It's good. It's body good snatching. To, she'd be great, Robin. Yeah, and it's good to be able to sit back and just be like, well, um, I've got things to think about in this movie. It didn't wrap up uh, evenly, so that's okay. Or you know, in a boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, that was um, the angry black girl and her monster, and that wraps up our our February on Fright School. I did want to promote there is a new edition. The second edition of Horror Noir is out. Uh, Very cool with this Candyman cover. It includes, I think, some expanded chapters on the 60s and the 2000s, along with just general what they do when they update books. I'm working my way through it now. Unfortunately, it did not get edited early enough to include this film. But there's still lots of good conversation in there. I also want to just keep promoting Queer for Fear, horror film and the Queer Spectator. I finally got my copy. Yay. So I'm working my way through that as well. And I really hope Heather Opetricelli shows up here in the future again. We've had her on in the past. It would love to be fun to have her on. But yeah, Yeah. so there we go. Happy. Love it. Books. I'm I'm always happy when I have books, new books to read. Or new old books, even. Whatever. As long as there's books. Yes. All right, Joe. Thank you as always. Thank you, dear listener. And good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 